I just want to quickly say before the actual episode starts that uh, I'm going to do something that I thought I would never do, which is give a trigger warning. The following episode contains references to mental health issues that are including but not limited to descriptions and talk of depression and suicide. So if these things are a trigger for you or they bother you, you might want to skip this one. Or you might want to listen and maybe see where I go with it. But I just wanted to give people a warning that that is something that is heavily discussed when talking about this film. I also want to give a quick disclaimer that this audio has a fan in the background. Because if you don't know, in Europe and in the UK, we are having a heat wave at the moment and it is bloody hot. So I made the decision that I don't want to pass out today while I'm recording this. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Stay safe. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. No greater faction than the action movie scene. Get in the action on the Action Addicts Podcast. Your satisfaction, action on the silver screen. Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to the show. Yes, it's been a while, but we're back. Today's episode is going to be everything everywhere all at once. And part of the reason why this episode has taken so long to film, or record anyway, is actually going to factor into my discussion about this film. I'm going to make a conscious effort to not make this a long episode because this is a film that I could talk about for hours. And I... I some of the people that I could have easily had on this show, it would have been one that we were talking about for hours, because I know that they absolutely love this film as well, and there are so many aspects of this film that you could break down forever, and you could break it down from the science fiction, you can break it down in terms of the action, and you can break it down in terms of the story, the themes, it's a rather unique perspective on a lot of it. And you can also break it down in terms of the Asian culture representation. But for obvious reasons, I won't be doing that. Uh, I shall leave that to more qualified people. Now, if you haven't seen everything everywhere all at once, I'm going to flat out say, stop listening to this podcast and go and watch it. Because it is easily one of the best films ever that I've seen. And when I saw it in the cinema for the first time, it genuinely got me emotional and it got the people that I was with emotional and I, I damn say everyone that was watching it in the cinema got emotional. I didn't get emotional when I rewatched it the second and third times because I think it's one of those things that once you know it's coming, it kind of loses its weight. I suspect if I was to leave it enough time and rewatch it, it, it still would. But if you haven't seen this film, please do yourself a favor and go and watch it before you listen to me talk about it because... I am going to be talking about the themes and certain aspects of this film that very much come into play at the end, and you do not want to do yourself the disservice of listening to this conversation until you have experienced it for yourself. I will also stress that I know that not everybody thinks that this is an amazing film. There are other films that this film is homaging and referencing, especially if you're familiar with the work of Wong Kar Wai. 
And I'm not going to get into all of that because that's not kind of my style. I don't really re I don't typically go into the breakdowns of who was inspired by what and where it came from, unless it's just something that I'm personally interested in and I want to share it with you. This film is an independently released film. It was distributed by A24. It had a budget of $25 million, and uh, according to IMDb, it finished up making 93, well, over 93 million, almost 94 million worldwide. Uh, I don't know how accurate that number is, because, again, I don't know exactly where all the releases were, if they've all been tallied up properly, because I know for a fact in the UK, we got this film way after America did for some unbeknownst reason, and I, I don't know if it's released in all Asian... Uh, countries yet and territories that are going to get it so that number may go up i don't know the writers and directors of this film are the daniels and you might be familiar with their work because one of their previous films got a lot of attention for how weird it was and that was swiss army man and uh i've never actually watched that uh my partner had and she definitely thought it was weird um it was one of those films that i saw the trailer for and wasn't really that bothered by i mean i'm not the biggest daniel radcliffe fan either so I will actually now go and give it a go because I'm curious to compare it to this film. If you've seen that, then you kind of might be prepared for this, the craziness that was in this film uh, before you know it came out. And uh, it also stars Michelle Yeoh, Stephanie Su, and Ki Huai Kwan, uh, and also has James Wong and Jamie Lee Curtis and... It, it stars a bunch of other people that action people will be familiar with, one of which has got a shout-out uh, a couple of times. But again, due to the nature of recording, I'm unsure if they've been shouted out in the past or the future. But they've definitely got mentioned on this show a few times, and that is the Marshall Club. Uh, those guys, uh, they get some really nice spotlight scenes in this. Like, if you've seen it, you have seen a lot of them, because one of the scenes in particular is, is very memorable for its its comedy. So what is the basic premise of this film? Well, again, like I said, this is uh, one of those things that's very difficult to talk about without diving into spoilers. So once again, if you haven't seen it, this is your last chance. I'm going to start talking about the film. The official synopsis is an aging Chinese immigrant is swept up in an insane adventure where she alone can save the world by exploring other universes connecting with the lives that she could have led. I will also add that that is not the original description that was on IMDb. Uh, originally, it just said that something to the effect of uh, a Chinese immigrant mother attempts to pay her taxes, which is also an accurate description of this film. Um, and I find it hilarious that that was the description at one point, because, yeah, that is the setup at the start of the film. Uh, Michelle Yeoh plays the wife and mother in this uh, Chinese family. She is just trying to do a simple task of figuring out her taxes and what she owes, like the IRS, because they're being audited. This is kind of the catalyst that sets everything off. You also find out that her dad is living with them. And something that uh, I don't know if everybody will have picked up on, but I did originally, uh, even though, again, it's not something that at first I read too much into, and then as time went on, I've realized actually it's it's a big part of the, the themes of the film. But when she speaks to her husband, she speaks in Mandarin, and when she speaks to her father, she speaks in Cantonese. Um, I know that because all of the Hong Kong films that most of us enjoy are tend to be in Cantonese, so it's recognizable to my ears. 
I couldn't tell you what was said without the subtitles, but I do at least know the difference. And this kind of leads into one of the big themes that this film addresses, and that is communication and understanding each other. Now, as I said, this has taken a very long time for me to actually sit down and record, and I couldn't actually really figure out why. Some of it is just my actual, just everyday normal problems, but there was also kind of something about this particular recording session that I've been putting off, and I, and like I said, I couldn't figure out what it was, and then I did. This film is a film of, of, of two different identities. On the surface level, there, this is an action sci-fi film that is absolutely insane, and it takes you to all these weird and wonderful places, and you get to see Michelle Yeoh kicking ass in her kung fu glory. You get to see uh, Key basically showing Hollywood that he should not have been ignored for the past 20 years. Um, he is glorious in this film, and he also gets to kick ass and take names and demonstrate his kung fu skills. And... Uh, there, you know, everybody gets to show off at some point or another. Stephanie Sue, her characters that she plays in this are amazing. And everybody gets to have their moment to shine to show you what they can do. And like I said, even James Hong gets to do stuff, uh, which I was a big fan of. I'm a huge James Hong fan. Uh, I've seen so many of things that have starred him in. And I think... He's one of those actors that a lot of people would think at first they're not too familiar with him, but trust me, he's been in a lot of stuff, even if it's just his voice, but he has been in so many, so many things that you will have seen or heard him in something. Um, yeah, the list of things he's been in and is just too large to even try to go into here, but uh, I'm really glad that all of these actors are really getting their dues from this film, and as I said... Uh, on a surface level, action sci-fi, adventure romp with a, a big thing that they have to overcome and deal with. And this is where the second half of the film, or the second layer of the film, kind of kicks in, which is actually there from day one. You just might miss it if you're not looking for it. And that is that this isn't actually about multiverses or alternate realities or kung fu saving the world superheroes any of that nonsense nah the root of this entire film the root of this entire story is about a family that is falling apart because they are failing to communicate with one another and they are failing to understand each other and that is unfortunately leading them to make bad choices because all of them are kind of at the end of their patience with life they're not enjoying it they're not making the most of it they're just existing and uh for one character in particular that is stephanie sue's joy she's kind of had enough of that and she fails to find the words to get how she's feeling across to her mother uh partly because her mother won't let her and that is a theme that is there right from the word go because, uh, again, I don't want to go into to scene by scene detail, but you get uh, uh, several examples of that really early on in the film. Uh, the most obvious one being when she's trying to introduce her girlfriend to her grandfather, played by James Hong, 
and her mother introduces her as her good friend instead because uh, Joy's Chinese is not good enough to be able to essentially convey what she's trying to say, but her mother's is, but she don't want to basically say to her dad that her daughter's a lesbian because she's convinced that due to the generational differences that he will freak out at that and, you know, she she puts the guilt on her that, like, you want to give him a heart attack and kill him. It's like, he's sick enough as it is, and he's old enough as it is, like, you know, just pretend for his sake, and she kind of struggles with that, understandably, and, you know, she she's clearly done it for a while, but now she's got to the point where that's not really an option for her anymore, you know? Evelyn, which is Michelle Yeoh's character, really struggles with other people's actually kind of making their own decisions, like, that is something that, uh, she kind of has to deal with and accept as the film goes on is that not everybody needs her to essentially micromanage their life for them. And this is something, as I said, that is basically the root cause of both the problems and the solutions to what actually the film is about. In the film, Ki Hui Kwan's character, Waymond, essentially doesn't know how to communicate with his wife anymore and doesn't really know how to make her happy, doesn't really know what to do, so he decides to file for a divorce because he knows that they're both miserable and nothing they do seems to be working. At the same time, their daughter is not really talking to them because Evelyn is overpowering, uh, but from Evelyn's point of view, they're both just constantly unable to meet the expectations that she thinks is the bare minimum at anything. You know, uh, Waymond, he can't do anything unless she, you know, basically tells him what to do uh, because he doesn't take anything seriously. He likes to make people smile. He likes to joke around. He likes to have laughter in his life. And while she does as well, it's very much weighed down by what she thinks of professionalism and responsibility and the fact that there's a time and a place for that but the problem is as as time has gone on she no longer knows what that time is you know she just never ever seems to have time for that and as a result of which she kind of never has time for him so they're not really being a couple anymore and this film deals with a lot of serious issues. They're there if you wish to see them. There are an, a large number of people that don't. And this kind of leads me into the biggest thing in the film, which is Joy's character. Because Joy is also the villain. Joy is the creature that is hunting everyone, that is triggering the extra-dimensional event. And when... Alpha Raymond, which is the Waymond that comes from one of the other realities, starts reaching out to Evelyn. Because Evelyn can save the world, basically, you then have to meet her counterpart, uh, which I believe is Jobu Topaki. And, you know, that name is kind of irrelevant because it's Joy. But they, you know, for a brief period of time, you don't know that. But they reveal it pretty quick. And once that's revealed, Evelyn believes that Jobu Topaki is like a spirit that's using Joy's body to do things. And she also kind of shows her own ignorance and basically decides that Jobu Topaki is the reason that Joy is broken in her own words. Like, oh, you're the reason that she doesn't talk to me enough and you're the reason that she's gay and you're the reason that she does 
bad things and makes bad life choices. And the thing is, is she probably has made some bad life choices, but most of the things that Evelyn's annoyed about, they aren't bad life choices. They're just not her life choices. And this is a real important thing that a lot of people miss, is Evelyn isn't the hero of the story in the way that you think she is at the start. She does eventually become the hero of the story because she remembers what it means to be a mother, but it takes her a long-ass time to get there, and she has to basically live the experiences of her other lives of what could have been and seeing that the grass was not necessarily greener on the other side. And it also takes reconnecting with both her own humanity and the love of her family, but more importantly, the fact that she loves them, which is something that she has buried because she just doesn't engage with that side of her anymore. And thankfully, but she realizes it before it's too late, but it is like literally just before it is too late that she is able to fix things. But it comes at a point in the film where you kind of already think it's over or it's finished, however you want to look at it. I mean, they literally give you a the end moment when Evelyn essentially fails, but it's not a failure. It's just a different way of looking at it. She changes her perspective and for a very brief period of time, Evelyn comes around to Joy's way of thinking, which is that Nothing matters. The world is relevant. We're irrelevant. There's billions upon billions of different multiverses that are all as large and vast as the universes. We're nothing more than insignificant pieces of shit. And if you cannot relate to that moment of feeling like nothing you do matters and everything is insignificant, then I'm extremely happy for you because that probably means you've never experienced what it's like to be depressed You've never experienced any moment of doubt, any moment of anxiety, and you clearly have everything together and have never failed. So, I'm real happy for you, but believe you me, I was relating to Joy real damn hard in this film. And when Evelyn ends up basically agreeing with her once she actually experiences what Joy's been experiencing, that was kind of, uh, oh, yeah, that wasn't what I think anyone was expecting. And I am, like like I said, I'm running straight to the end game with this because, yes, there's some cool fights. Yes, there's a lot of cool stuff, but everyone's kind of already talked about that. All of that stuff is true, and I loved it. I was laughing my ass off when she has to fight the Marshall Club that have butt plugs in their ass because that's how they activate their uh, kung fu abilities, and then she has to fight them off and defeats them by removing them. That is a scene I never thought I would see, and you're damn right that that made me laugh uncontrollably in the cinema as it did everybody else, but that is not what I took away from the theatre, that is not why I have rewatched this film three times. Joy's whole storyline is the centre of this film. Everything comes back to the relationship between Joy and Evelyn. In the Alpha universe, Evelyn is the one that invents the technology that allows them to jump between alternate versions of themselves. And whilst she was experimenting with this technology, she basically used Joy as a guinea pig and she pushed Joy too far. And Joy basically went through this transitional phase where she basically becomes lost in the multiverse. Her 
Essence can now travel anywhere at any time she chooses. Unfortunately, she can't turn it off. She is essentially trapped going through different versions of herself and seeing all these different versions of herself. And instead of that basically bringing her to a good place, it just reinforced feelings that she already had of worthlessness. And the only person that could fix that, and the only person that could help her, is the person that caused the feelings in the first place. But she didn't know that she was causing these feelings, because that person is Evelyn. And in her mind, in both universes, she's doing what she needs to do as a mother to prepare her child for the real world, to give her the best chance at life. And that means being harsh. But being harsh isn't what Joy needed, and being harsh has unfortunately caused a lot of psychological issues that she clearly didn't intend, but they're there nonetheless. So the only way that Joy can fix them is to first accept and acknowledge that she's the cause of them, and that is a big ask in anyone's personality traits, what they think of themselves. You basically have to realize that you are not right all of the time, perhaps a lot of the time, and the first thing you have to kind of do is go, well, yeah, I fucked that up. You know, I could have handled this better, and I've got a lot of my own baggage, which has been unfairly passed on to you, and I'm letting history repeat itself. I'm go, I'm, I'm doing all the things that, as a kid, I said I wouldn't do. And, again... I think a lot of people will relate to that, and a lot of people do relate to that. Um, but again, Joy isn't just a sad, mopey, emo kid that thinks that she has a tough life. She has psychological problems, and she has a lot of baggage, most of which was given to her by Evelyn, and has then been reinforced over years by Evelyn. And she cannot figure out how to deal with that and when she the alpha version of her ends up being trapped forever wandering through the multiverse and realizing that all of it is completely pointless none of this matters which if you've been depressed like i have uh that ain't such an abstract feeling and eventually you start to think to yourself that actually there is no way out of this emptiness and the people that taught you that this is the way you should think and this is the way you should behave are never going to change and you're never going to fix these problems and even just mentioning these problems causes more problems because they don't even want to acknowledge that they exist because to do so would mean that they failed or they were wrong or they caused it whatever it might be so I was right there with Joy for that one and uh she comes to a real solid conclusion, which is that everything should just go. And she creates a reality-ending bagel, of all things. And at any point she chooses, she can destroy reality. Except, that's not why she made the bagel. She made the bagel because she's essentially immortal now which means she's trapped in self-perpetuating depression with literally no way out 
and she flat out says she tried every way she could think of to get out, and I'm imagining it was like the Groundhog Day sequence, but with less comedy. So she created the bagel to see whether or not it was powerful enough to end her existence. And I'm now going to borrow some words from a very good YouTuber that I have been subscribed to for a very long time. And if you haven't uh, followed this guy, I would recommend you go and check him out. He's called Accented Cinema and he makes great videos about this stuff. And he made a video about exactly what I'm going to say. And he said it so damn well that I'm going to kind of paraphrase it because there's no way I can say it better, which is that joy is suicidal. And 80% of people that watch this film seem to have missed that. And joy is depressed and joy is desperately calling out for help throughout this entire film. She flat out tells Evelyn that the reason she was searching for an Evelyn that might be able to end up in the same situation as her was so that when she did, Evelyn could tell her that she's wrong and that there is a way back and that life isn't shit. Instead, Evelyn basically agrees with Joy and they both go on a pity party together getting more and more depressed, but now they're together. But all that does is reinforce in Joy's mind that unfortunately there isn't an answer, there isn't a way out, and that her original plan, which was to just end everyone's existence, is the right answer. Everybody's trapped in a life that they don't want to really live, so she's doing everybody a favor by ending it, but realistically, that's that's not her goal. She just wants to end her own suffering, because life is suffering for her. Because she's been abandoned and basically ignored and isolated by everybody that's supposed to be her support network pretty much her entire life. So she doesn't know any difference. She doesn't even know that her thought process is fucked up. I mean, she might know on some level, but that just makes it worse because then you feel guilty. And yes, I'm speaking from experience, which is why it took me four weeks to record this. So Joy is suicidal, and... Uh, that metaphor, that allegory comes through loud and clear to me. I didn't need a video to explain that to me. I got that on the first viewing, which is probably why I got so emotional with what actually happens, which is that Evelyn spends the whole film trying to fight her way out of the problems that she has. And eventually she realizes that that's one way to deal with a situation. It's not the only way. And her husband, Waymond, who she has pretty much spent the whole film saying is a useless idiot. And, you know, she even says a couple times, like, I don't know why we well, we married. She remembers why she married him. She remembers why she fell in love with him. And he is actually the one that gives her the answer to how she's going to get through to Joy, which starts with accepting your own inadequacies which is a real hard thing to do i'm not saying it isn't but she has to basically go my way is isn't working perhaps has never worked but waymond has always been really good with people with love with relationships with being open and communicating and that's why i fell in love with him and that's why joy still talks to him but hates dealing with me and so she tries to do it his way. She still has to fight because, you know, 
it's a film, but it's done now done in a different way where instead of trying to fight in terms of she's trying to defeat her opponents, she solves their problems. She uses her newfound abilities to essentially heal them of whatever it might be that they are lacking in their life that has caused them to essentially become followers of Jobu Tupaki. And in the process of making herself better so that she can try and get through to Joy and save her, she also ends up healing, sort of, the relationship with her father, which is kind of not at the foreground but it is a big part of why Evelyn is the way she is and it's why she doesn't really see anything wrong with why she is handling joy the way she always has because that's how she grew up but she also realizes that she doesn't really like the way that she was raised and the fact that you know she was essentially abandoned by her dad for choosing the guy that she did and She's never dealt with that. She's kept it all internal and all of this uh, repressed shit that she's just never dealt with bubbles to the surface and she finally has it out with everybody that she needs to and confronts him. Even though it's not actually the right version of him, but because of the weird thing her powers are doing, it kind of still works. But basically, he's trying to stop her. This is the alpha version of her dad. And uh, after this, like, emotional outburst, at the end, when she's trying to save and stop Joy from stepping through the bagel and committing suicide, her dad latches onto her and basically decides that, you know what, I already lost one daughter, I'm not going to lose another. And he then reconnects with her. And obviously all the other people that she's helped and Waymond, who's been there the entire time, she just hadn't really realized that he'd been there the entire time. All of the family finally come together and help Evelyn to help Joy. Now that isn't actually enough. The, the actual bit that follows can be left open to interpretation in many various ways, but Essentially, the way that they deal with it is they then flip to a, back to their universe and Joy is just in a car and Evelyn's just talking to her and basically Joy begs her to stop trying to save her and just let her go because being with Evelyn is what causes all of this pain and she doesn't know how or if it's ever possible to not feel that way when she's around her. And they agree to it, basically. But then Evelyn finally realizes that actually that's not what needs to be said. She needs to be open and honest. And she embraces herself in order to get through to Joy. She literally lays into her and says, you know what? I'm not actually that terrible of a mother. I care about you, and that's why I do these things. I realize I go overboard sometimes. And then she says basically all the things that you never thought that someone would say to you and gets through to Joy. And as she says, I could do anything I want in the multiverse, but the only place I want to be is here with you. And I don't know how else to convince you that I care about you. And this mirrors perfectly 
what actually triggers Evelyn in the first place to realize that, you know, she feels the same way about Waymond is one of the most talked about memed moments of the entire film is uh, one of the other versions of Waymond basically turns around to Evelyn and says, you know, in another life, I would have been happy doing laundry and taxes with you. And that is a huge part of this entire film is realizing that actually you are happy. It's not going to be happy all of the time and life can be shit, but your life overall isn't bad. It's kind of what you always wanted. It's just you've kind of let it degrade in your mind. You've got to put in the work. So Evelyn does and it works. It gets through to everyone that it needs to and she starts standing up to her dad she starts doing the things that joy needed her to do you know years earlier but now she's doing them and she tells her dad flat out that that joy is gay and that this is her girlfriend and you know i like this moment but i'm sure some people would say it's unrealistic but her dad isn't freaked out about it he's actually happy that she has someone and that she's not just single and doing nothing with her life and He's actually quite open to it because it's like, well, at least you're not alone and maybe you'll do better than the rest of us did at all of this, you know, which again, maybe some people will say it's not realistic, but my grandparents mostly wouldn't have had an issue with it if that was the way it was, you know, and they're the same generation and well, some of them have the same sort of opinions. So I get it. I get that they can surprise you. It's it's a scary, difficult thing to go through, but you never know how someone's going to react until they're confronted with the situation. What matters more to them? Their outdated, broken beliefs or how they feel about you as a family member? Some people will let you down and disappoint you, but you won't know unless you tell them. And this, as I say, leads on to the conversation where Evelyn basically convinces Joy that they care for each other, they love each other, and they're, they need to work on it, but you can't work on it if you're not alive. Skipping out isn't the answer. It's, it is the solution that you've come to, but it's not actually the answer. Um, but it's your choice. Like, only you can make that decision. And by giving Joy that option, that, that adult, responsibility and doing all the other stuff that she's done throughout the film to try and convince her she's fought her she's let her go she's gone for her back she's gone through all of this ridiculous transformation process with her and joy accepts it and when her and joy finally do accept this and essentially make up that is where the whole cinema for me or my first time viewing completely lost it uh, myself included, which took me by surprise. But again, there was a lot I could relate to in this. And that's why I find it really interesting that, yes, there is an element of this being Asian culture and the way that they choose to deal with family issues. But that doesn't mean that there aren't things here for everybody. To me, it doesn't matter that they're not the same culture as me. I can relate to pretty much all of it. And I think that if you're so close-minded that just because the people you're watching don't look like you, that means that you can't find universal themes 
then I don't know if you should be watching films, basically. Um, this goes hand in hand with the idiot critic that reckoned that there was nothing in Turning Red for him to relate to because, you know, it's about a teenage Asian girl and I can't relate to any of that. And uh, if that's true, then you need a new fucking job, mate. And my opinion on that is never going to change. You need to put down your pen. You have failed. Leave now and let somebody else have your job. But with all of that said, I know many people will want to know my thoughts about the action and probably want me to talk about something that's more lighthearted because, yes, this film meant a lot to me for very different reasons, perhaps, than some people. But as I said, uh, well, I said it and then didn't say it, but accented cinema. Yes, I'm going back to that now. Uh, gave a great little thing, and that's why I wanted this episode to basically focus on the parts that aren't particularly pleasant, and that is that 80% of people that see this film aren't talking about that, and they aren't even seeing it, and a lot of people are misunderstanding Joy's character. In fact, they hate Joy's character, and they really don't... They're not seeing how she's sympathetic, she's the victim, to be blunt. Yes, she does evil crap, but again, you're dealing with a multiverse with these weird and wonderful powers. You don't actually know how much she's done equals X, Y, and Z. It's it's really difficult to quantify when the idea is that this is a multiverse where anything can happen. Yes, she went on a rampage and a rage, so yeah, saying that she's the victim, I can understand why some people don't take that viewpoint, but the joy of our universe, the one that we start with, feels exactly the same way. It's that joy that Evelyn is trying to connect to, and that is how she saved the multiverse by essentially disarming Jobu Topaki and getting through to the joy that's inside of it. And obviously, in turn, they got rid of the bagel. And all of her followers were basically shown that there are other options. Like, they all were basically so negative, so so vengeful and bitter that the possibility that there was a better tomorrow out there had completely left their minds and their hearts and she showed them that not only is it out there it's literally happening in another multiverse and yeah there are, you know that doesn't necessarily help you but there's no reason why you can't have that life in this one too and that's kind of a message that i think a lot of people need to hear Accented cinema. I'm gonna get this out now. If people watching a film cannot recognize the signs of somebody that has self-destructive behavior, that is anxious, that is depressed, and more importantly, is suicidal, how are you gonna recognize it if it's happening in real life to someone you know? Because the film pretty, pretty you know, the film is telegraphing it. It's it shouldn't be hard to miss. And if people are missing it in a film where it's, you know, set up for people to see, how are you going to see it in real life? Because real life doesn't set it up to you. Real life doesn't telegraph it to you. And whenever a celebrity that does unfortunately take their own life goes through the motions of then being covered by the news cycles, you always hear the same pointless sentence said, which is that, oh... They seemed so happy and full of life. And it's like, yeah, that's 90% of people with depression. 
we don't go around advertising it. And for a small period of time, we can look normal and we can act normal. But just because we can go to a party one night and look like where you've got everything together doesn't mean that we then spent the next week doing nothing but sitting vegetating and people often point to you know big celebrities and say what have they got to be depressed about and it's like it doesn't work like that it doesn't matter if you actually have shit that other people would consider something to be depressed about it's not that simple everyone is susceptible to chemical imbalances in their brain everyone is susceptible from getting down whether the reason is considered legitimate or not by other people is irrelevant and everyone needs help from time to time and unfortunately if the support network that you have is not capable of providing that support or worse is the cause of your issues then you're in a very lonely place, and being lonely and being isolated is one of the worst things you can do to a human being. So, make of that what you will. As for the action in this film, I already said at the beginning I loved it. I love the fact that the Marshall Club are getting recognition that they deserve. I also love the fact that so many people are seeing what Michelle Yeoh can do and wanting more. As anyone that knows me knows, I've been a Michelle Yeoh fan since I was a kid, and the fact that so many people are treating this like this is the first time she's been on the big screen in, in the West is kind of annoying me, because it's like, she's always kind of been there, whether it was James Bond, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, all of the Hong Kong films she's made, which I realize wouldn't have been on the big screen, but it's like, she's always been around, it's just that people seem to forget because it's convenient to and on the flip side uh, ki hui kwan he hasn't been in anything for a long time man i mean you know he was a child actor then kind of got abandoned and basically went behind the scenes on stuff but he's a uh, so good at the martial arts stuff that i'm real pissed that we didn't get more stuff with him because he is so good in this film he plays basically th three different versions of himself uh he plays the timid uh normal waymond he plays the strong confident kung fu badass that is the alpha waymond and then he plays the uh the uh, i don't know how to describe him the the rich waymond from the film universe where he's strong and confident and has everything but he never got with evelyn like that was what he never had so he has everything but love and that made him and Evelyn way more successful than if they got together. And uh, for those people who maybe don't know Rick and Morty that well, uh, I've seen some people be confused as to why there's so many people that say, oh, this this is kind of like a Rick and Morty episode. And um, it isn't. Uh, it, you know, they're very, very different in tone. But there is a Rick and Morty episode that kind of basically does that particular aspect of this film where two main characters see into another universe where they also exist and they haven't got together in that universe and as a result of which they are superstars of the planet. Like, they are the most successful versions of themselves. But, just like in the film, 
when they watch them long enough, they actually realize that although they're successful, although they have everything they allegedly want, they're actually miserable and they hate their life because they don't have anything in it other than success. And success is great, but it doesn't keep you warm at night and it doesn't give you anyone to talk to when all of your friends have gone home. So I can see where that comparison gets made. Um, I personally, from the moment I saw it, immediately uh, thought of Jet Li's The One, which also kind of deals with multiverse travels. And again, it stars martial artist and there's Kung Fu. Again, completely different story. But interesting fact that I didn't know until I was doing research for this is Ki Hui Kwan was actually working on Jet Li's The One which I find interesting. Um, he was one of the people that was kind of doing a lot of the fights and supervising them and helping to, to direct them and film them. And I'm just sort of like blown away by that fact because even though they're very, very different, they have a lot of similarities that overlap. And the fact that he kind of works on both is just sort of like, yeah, that's, 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 that's very cool. I like that piece of trivia. Another piece of trivia that yeah, people seem to get really, really... Um, confused and mistaken about is the involvement of Jackie Chan. The Daniels said that originally when this film was conceived and written that it was a Jackie Chan script. They wanted the main character to essentially be Waymond and Jackie Chan, they wanted him to play him and it would basically be the same film roughly, but it would be the guy doing everything and I suppose the, the roles would just be flipped, I guess. And, you know, I, I can't imagine the story would be too different. It would just be a case of it would be the wife that would show the husband the right way to do things rather than the husband showing the wife, which is how they play it in this film. Um, but one thing that I think a lot of people are, are getting wrong, and again, this is this is what Michelle Yeoh said. So, you know, if I if it if I'm wrong, please blame her because I'm quoting her at this point. <laughs> but um. She said in an interview that she was already actually in the film as the wife. Like, she was already cast as Evelyn when they were saying that this was going to be a Jackie Chan flick. And, you know, at that point, they didn't have someone cast as the husband. But Jackie Chan essentially turned them down. And they were trying to decide, you know, how to basically do it with someone else. And then it was basically like, well, we have Michelle Yeoh. Why don't we just make it a Michelle Yeoh film? And Michelle has said, like, she's sent Jackie a text since this film became one of the biggest successes of 2022 and was like, you're lost, bro. LOL. Which I find hilarious. But also, I think a lot of people are really confused when they see the whole Jackie Chan was going to be the main character thing because they're like, oh, you know, how how dare they not have Michelle Yeoh? It's like, no, 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 no. It was going to be Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh. Which, A, would have been cool, but B, I actually kind of prefer the film we got. But, uh, you know, if they do do anything more, I would still love to see a, a Jackie Chan-related project with the Daniels, because they make crazy stuff, man. That would be really cool. A special shout-out has to go to James Hong, because goddamn, he is getting on in years, and he can still pull off a convincing bad guy when he turns into the alpha version of his character, there is absolutely no doubt in anybody's mind that he could still cause some serious damage when he wants to. And I just find that absolutely hilarious because the dude is so much older than some of the American stars that are still trying to pull off the 
I'm intimidating and strong look, and yet they just can't do it. And yet he does it effortlessly. It's just a simple change of facial expression and body language, and he is still every bit as intimidating as when he first started playing bad guys in big Hollywood films in the 80s. It's it's hilarious. Another character that I haven't really mentioned, because again, I don't really want to go through all of the more superficial elements, is Jamie Lee Curtis's uh, IRS agent, Deirdre. Um, she actually also plays several different characters from uh, different parts of the multiverse. She also has some really good fight sequences that I'm pretty convinced is not her for the vast majority of, because if it is Jesus, she can she could still move. I don't actually know the percentages of who did what. I'm imagining most of it wasn't her. Mostly because there's a lot of like really technical wrestling and flips involved, and while she can probably still throw a punch i'm not imagining she's going to be doing stuff on par with the marshall club but all of these people came together to make a film that even if you are one of those people that has seen other stuff like this knows the inspirations knows the homages knows other stuff that could be compared to this film i think one of the biggest things that maybe those people are overlooking and it's not everybody but some is this is made in America, this has been made in English, and this is, for a lot of people, the first time they're seeing something that has this kind of tone shift, these sensibilities, these all-over-the-map sort of aspects that feel like you're watching the most random thing you've ever seen, but actually it has one of the strongest driving and centered and focused stories i think i've ever really experienced because the more random it all feels the less it actually is everything in this has a purpose even stuff that feels like it's just a throwaway gag it comes back around and uses it at the end or near the end as there's many many scenes like it's way too complicated to try and explain but there's if you know you've all seen it if you're listening i hope and, you know, everything gets utilized. There are a couple of characters that don't, but I have since uh, read that the couple of people that kind of feel like they had unbalanced screen time, more was shot, but they were cut. Uh, so, you know, at the end of the day, you kind of have to bear that in mind with pacing. You know, not everybody's going to get their perfect finalization for example one of the characters that i didn't feel like really needed to be in the ending but a lot of other people seemed to was in one of michelle Yeoh's alternate versions she was taught by a kung fu master that looks an awful lot like uh a very well-known uh character for <laughs> and I, I you know if you've seen it you know who i mean but in the some of the deleted scenes, she's actually in the final fight against Michelle Yeoh, and she has to basically, you know, solve whatever her problem is. And there's another character, I'll be honest, I can't even remember who it is. Oh, yes, I can. It's the lady with the dog. Um, She's the other character that, that shows up for a bit and then kind of disappears. But again, she doesn't disappear. She was in that final fight, but... For whatever reason, they decided that they those two weren't worth including or it made it too long. I don't really know why 
they were cut out, but like the guy that's into BDSM who doesn't have any lines really in the film was included. I think they just left him in because they thought it was a funny scene, I guess. Um, and it, you know, it loops back nicely to something that you saw earlier in the film without real explanation. Whereas the Kung Fu master and the, the lady with the dog, um, they both needed a bit more dialogue to kind of get through them. So maybe that's why they, they, they took it out. I have no idea. You know, I'm making this up at this point. So that's kind of where I am in terms of this film. Like, I love it with every fiber of my being. Um, like as I say, I've, I've watched it three times. Uh, originally, I wasn't going to do this. I was going to do... Oh, I say a normal episode. I don't have a normal episode, but you know what I mean. I wasn't going to focus so much on one particular aspect, but I feel like everybody has kind of dissected this film enough to the point that I don't need to cover the action. And I realize that you could say that's sacrilege, given that I am the Action Addicts podcast, but ultimately, the film's action speaks for itself. It is really well done it is really well choreographed everybody involved did a fantastic job all of the actors pull their weight all of the stunt guys were absolutely fantastic and the directors they know what they're doing i'll also add that the visual effects people need a special shout out as well because believe it or not even though this film is very visual effects heavy they don't actually have like a big visual effects company working on this film. Uh, the visual effects was actually done by nine people, including the directors. And the, the pretty much the majority was just done by five people. And none of them have ever been to visual effects school. They don't work for like a big visual effects company. They're just a bunch of friends who taught themselves how to do it with tutorials that they found online. And... I freaking love that, man. You can't get more independent than that. And to be frank, some of the visual effects in this, whilst they are used sparingly, they're the creativity that they have to, in order to perhaps combat some of the problems that they would have as a result of this is just mind-blowing. It also reminds me of uh, my, my favorite little pet project that I will always, you know, shout out whenever I can, which is Arc Exodus which was made for, you know, pennies, but looked like it had a lot more money in it. And, it, you know, it's a short film, so it's an unfair comparison. But, you know, all the effects were done by the lead actor. All of the editing was done by the lead actor. All of pretty much everything was done by the lead actor, aside from really the writing. And I love that kind of energy when people can just come together and make something cool and not really have to include a lot of corporatism. Um, and I'm not against big companies in general. Like I love, I love me some Marvel films. I think everybody knows that. But um, it's always nice to get variety. And I'm really, really hoping that the success of Everything Everywhere All at Once will allow more big films that aren't just going to fit pre-existing molds. And funnily enough. Next week's episode is about another big success of 2022 that, realistically, I could say the same thing about in terms of 
having the effect of hopefully demonstrating that there is more than one way to make a massive successful film. Because next week I will be joined by Matt Essery once again to discuss the current, well, you know what, the current biggest film possibly, RRR. And yes, it is going to be a long one and we had a fantastic talk about it and I hope you're excited for it. But that is going to be it for this episode. I don't know what you thought of it, but I hope you enjoyed listening. Obviously, if you want to talk to me about any of the things that were discussed here, feel free to reach out to me on Twitter, AddictsAction, and uh, I hope you guys have a fantastic day. Stay safe if you're in the ridiculous heat that we are having right now in Europe, and I will see you all in the next episode. Thank you for listening. On the Action Addicts Podcast!